Have you ever regretted doing something right away? Okay, that was me singing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Allie. I don't sing. Um, there's a reason why I'm here and not up just before me. Um, but I am so thankful um, for that song. It puts me back to a place in Arkansas where that song became everything to me. And my dad sings it when he comes up front many times. And I've always just wanted to sing during a sermon. So that was it. That was done. Now I can mark that off. Aren't you glad you witnessed it? Amen? Thank you, Paula. (laughs) But have you ever regretted anything? I mean, how many of you right now can think of something you regret? Like right now. Hi. Look around. Yes. Okay, um, how about something that whenever you're thinking about when you were younger or in your other days, um, you think and you regret maybe a hairstyle or a clothing option. Um, oops, <laughs> those pigtails, you know. Actually, I, had a, I did the cropping to, for their sake, not for mine. Just so you guys know, I was saving their, their reputation. Um, or if there's sometimes, if you've ever been to dinner with me, or lunch, or whatever. I regret decisions the moment that I make them. I see people's heads nodding. Thank you very much. Um, All of a sudden, I realized that I wanted the thing that I didn't get, and this is why I'm not married. Okay. (laughs) I've I've come to that conclusion on my own. Maybe the Holy Spirit showed it to me, but one time when I was in Thailand, I made this decision to eat a scorpion, I don't know why. I just thought it was the best idea because they were coming around with the entrees, and I thought, in Thailand, you eat scorpions? So I did. And immediately, I got sick on the way home. I had to get on a flight that day, and I have not ever been—I seriously have not been able to eat gluten the same. So do you think that I regret that when I'm a donut fiend? Okay, I pinpoint this. There's a lot of other reasons, but that moment I regret because I couldn't partake in National Donut Day this last week. And I pinpoint that moment in my life. There's things that we regret. We regret relationship choices. We regret, um, just kidding. I'm not going to put that picture up there. (laughs) Um, We regret the people, um, sometimes the things that we've said to people or the things that we didn't say to people. The actions that we've taken that we cannot change. Those moments where we think about it and we literally can get sick. You know those moments? <laughs> you just cringe because you can't change it, but you've got to figure out a way to keep going forward. Someone that we get to see today, the nobody who meets somebody who made him someone. He was in that same predicament. He was on a road to Damascus, persecuting Christians, putting them in jail, and he comes face to face with Jesus. Girl problems. He comes face to face with Jesus, and everything changes. In a moment, everything changes. This is the guy who wrote Philippians 3, 13 through 14. It says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Do you think this man, this man named Paul, had a reason to forget the things behind him and to strive towards what's ahead? This is Paul. 
the one that wrote 13 books of the New Testament, which is 26, so he wrote half of them. Um, He was the most influential person in Christianity outside of Jesus himself. We speak his words all of the time. This is Paul, but he wasn't always known as Paul. He was a man named Saul. And actually, just for you guys to know, Saul and Paul are like the same name, but Hebrew and Greek, okay? So whenever, if I accidentally have a slip up, just know it's the same name, no biggie. Um, But for this sermon, I want to call him Saul. And I'm going to refer to him as Saul because there's something about meeting him when he is still Saul that I think we have to grasp hold to, to really get to the beautiful picture of when that mission, when he becomes Paul. To hold on to this and to step into this story this morning when he is Saul and everything that he knew before he came to Christ. This is a conversion story, yes, but it's about putting our past behind us. Put your past behind us and look forward to what God has for you. Who wants that this morning? I do. I do. As one who struggles so much with that, I need that today. So we're going to be in Acts 9, 1 through 9. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Dear Heavenly Father, I just praise you for this moment. I praise you for the, the worship already that's been going on, and the prayers that have been spoken, Lord God, your people are here to listen and to learn and to sense your spirit and to feel you move, Lord God. Um, Be on the stage, be on um, the chairs, Lord God, and then flow out and through into our community, Lord God. Everything that you speak to us now, may it come alive in a whole new way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a little bit of background. So Saul... Like I said, he was persecuting Christians two chapters before Acts 9. Um, Just a minute. We're going to go to uh, Acts 7, verse 58, is the first time that we see Saul. Now, Stephen was the first martyr, Christian martyr, that is listed in Scripture. And Saul was at that place when Stephen was martyred. He was preaching to the Pharisees. He was saying, you stiff-necked people. Can't you just understand the Holy Spirit? You're pushing against the Holy Spirit, and the Pharisees did not like this. Saul was among them, and they dragged Stephen out to the courtyard, and the witnesses, it says the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of Saul's feet, at at Saul's feet. And it says he's a young man, which he's probably a little bit younger than Jesus at this point, so it's not like he's super young. He, people know him. People listen to what Saul has to say. He was born a Jew in a Roman colony, so he had Roman citizenship. He was taught the rabbinical law under Gamaliel. Well-versed in Greek, thought, and literature, Saul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And the crowds and the temples looked to Saul for wisdom and guidance. And in Acts 8.1, it says, Saul agreed with killing Stephen. So Saul, however, ravaging the church, he would enter house after house, dragging off men and women to put them in prison. Has there ever been anyone that you thought, there's just no way, there's no way God could save them? Maybe that's you this morning. It could be you. Who is it that we're thinking of? Because Saul actually is a huge testament that God can save anyone. 
He can show up out of nowhere and change the trajectory of anyone's life. So we pick up in Acts 9, and we're going to read this together this morning. Now Saul was breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But (laughs) get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing this sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So Saul had to be in shock. For many reasons, for many reasons, not including the fact that he was blind. He couldn't see anymore, but he had to be in shock because he was trained up to know the law through and through. And he would say that he kept them better than anyone else. He had been fighting against this Jesus, the people of the way, saying this is not the way of scripture. And here he is. Jesus is standing right in front of him, the one he was persecuting. And sometimes I wonder too, Did Saul really realize that when he persecutes believers, he's persecuting Jesus? That would be a shock. To meet the person that you are persecuting. But also, when you have a set way of things, and then you realize you you were 100% positive, you were right on all of it. I mean, he was zealous for it, and he was believing that it was completely true. But have you ever been so sure that you're right of something, only to be proven wrong? Um, Well, since that never happens to me, I'm going to use a story about Josiah. (laughs) Josiah's our worship leader, if you're new. Um, So (laughs) in the fall, we, we had our women's ministry, or our women's retreat up in um, uh, Pine Top, and I went up there for the day to kind of look and see where we were going to be, and I tried to, like, find Airbnb. I don't know if you know how Airbnb works, but they give you kind of the, the map kind of location where your Airbnb might be, and so I thought, treasure hunt. So I went up there one day, and Josiah and Joel were up at their cabin, which was nearby, and I just said, hey, do you guys want to go find this Airbnb with me? So we went for probably over an hour, driving up and down roads, looking at this picture, trying to match it with the house that we were supposed to stay at, and we were about to give up. We had gone down every road, and I needed to come home. It's a four-hour drive, and uh, we were heading back, and Joel just goes, hey, Josiah, why don't we go down this street? And Josiah's like, um, I go down that street all the time, all the time. I can guarantee you 100% that Airbnb is not down that street. I said, can we just like go just in case? Because me, regret, I have regret problems. I'm just like, if I didn't go down that one street, like I would be thinking about it for days. And so I'm like, Josiah, please let us go down this street. And sure enough, we turn the corner and the Airbnb's right there. 
And I just had to say, oh my gosh, Josiah, you were wrong. It's like, <laughs> Jesus is alive. Like, <laughs> it, it's, it's true. He was wrong one time. And I witnessed it. <laughs> and he was in such shock, honestly, for a little bit. He's like, what in the world happened? I was 100% sure. But we take that and to see how Saul feels, not about something that doesn't matter, but his whole life depended on this. And there was more. There was more. What he was doing wasn't right. He was totally in shock. It had been proven all wrong. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus showed up to him in person. And in 1 Corinthians 15, which Josiah mentioned last week as we were talking about the ascension, is that last of all, Jesus appeared to me, Paul. Other people saw the light and they heard a noise from heaven. And then when we talk about visions, a lot of people don't see, like if we have a vision, not other people see the vision that we're having. But Paul witnessed something and Jesus appeared to him. This wasn't a vision. Jesus met him exactly where he was. He didn't wait until Saul finally got a clue somehow, or maybe that was the only way. He doesn't wait for you to have to clean up all the other things. He meets you exactly where you are today. And I would add, he actually goes way far out of his way to meet you there. (laughs) The beautiful thing I love about this is that Saul was trained up in rabbinical law. So he, he knew how to ask questions, right? So Jesus comes and he asks him a question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what does Saul do? He answers with a question. Jesus met Saul where he was. He knew how important questions were to his conversations. And then Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. I am. Saul knew those words. He knew them. He he studied them from Moses when God showed up in that burning bush when he says, I am. So Saul hears this, I am Jesus. And it's a game changer moment. Absolute life-altering, time stops, never going to be the same moment in his life. Nothing that he knew before, he couldn't deny what he saw. He could not deny what he saw. We all have game-changer moments in our lives, some for the good and some for the bad. There was a man who, um, in uh, December of 1987, was um, driving down a road in a pickup truck, and he had been newly married and dealing with anxiety and depression, and it came over him, and he felt like he was having a heart attack. He didn't know what was going on, and he leaned over to his wife, and he said, I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack. I'm going to go to hell. I don't know what to do. I'm dying. And she says, no, no, no. You are a good man. You're not going to hell. You're a good man. And he says, that is not good enough. In that moment, on Highway 89, exit 199, December 13th, if you can't tell, it's my dad. (laughs) He pulled over and Jesus met him in that pickup truck. He didn't have to wait till he got to church on Sunday for Jesus to meet him and show him there was another way. 
He wasn't having a heart attack, he was having anxiety attacks because of the weight he was trying to carry, the regrets, the emotions on his own. And Jesus just said, hey, why don't you do this together? Why don't we do this together and let me take those burdens from you? A game changer moment that if that did not happen, and he did not respond to the call, I would not be here right now. Our response to when Jesus shows up has ripple effects for generations in your family and outward, in this church, in your communities, where you work, game changer moments, but it's how you respond to them. See, we have an option, how we're going to respond. Jesus meets you where you are, but I love that he invites us into this. So one, he speaks truth. He's like, I am Jesus and you are persecuting me, right? (laughs) Probably nicer than that. And All of a sudden, he also invites him into this story. And he says, but get up and go, and I have more instructions for you. I have something more for you. And Saul got up and went. It reminds me, actually, of um, God, whenever he's in the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, after they just had, they just took um, the tree, the apple from the tree, and they start hiding because they're covered and Um, guilt and shame, and they didn't know what to do, so they hid from God, which is kind of funny. And what does God do is he meets them in the garden. He walks into the garden, and he says, where are you? Who told you that? Who told you you were naked? He's acknowledging the truth that something has changed, but he's inviting you into the story with the loving Father. It's both spirit and truth. It's both love and truth. It's relationship and reality. Timothy Keller says this. He says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. But truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional, committed to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and his grace. Repentance moves us. Jesus loves us where we are, but too much to leave us that way. So he says, Saul, I see you. You are persecuting me, but get up and go. I love you, but I love you too much to leave you there. He says, go out, get up and go. So Saul had a choice. It was a critical moment. He knew all that he had done. He knew that he was on his way to Damascus to arrest men and women who were following the way to bring them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial and potentially persecuted and killed for their faith. He had an option. He had another chance. In 1833, a man named Alfred Nobel was born in Sweden. And he came up, he, he invented, and he was working through all these explosives, right? So he, um, in that process, he actually had um, 
His brother was actually killed in the process at one of the plants. He became, he started making all of this money, and he was the one who invented dynamite in 1867. In that, he started to gain all of this notoriety and all of this money throughout the world. People were wanting to use it for mines to blow up, oil fields, but also people were using it against other people. And one day, in 1888, his brother had just passed away. He was reading the morning newspaper, and he opened it up to the obituaries. And what he read was this. Alfred Nobel, the merchant of death is dead. Now keep in mind, it was supposed to be his brother. It went on to say the man who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before. In that moment, he had a choice to make. He was, was he going to sue the newspaper for defamation, which he highly considered because he was so enraged by what just happened? It was supposed to be his brother, not him, but he had this opportunity, a critical moment where he actually got to see what other people were going to say about him when he was dead. So he saw the truth, but what was he going to do with it? Well, after Nobel started putting all the money away from all the dynamite that was used into a trust, and in 1901, it turned into the Nobel Peace Prize. And so even today, he says, to benefit the greatest of humans that are giving back to mankind. And that was his hope. So in that moment, he had a choice. How was he going to react? He had another chance, and he took it. And he still, we still feel the ripples of that. People are still getting awards for that. Obviously, we have choices every day. It's not always going to come down to, did we see our obituary in the newspaper in the morning? And hopefully not. But what are we going to do with the opportunity that we face today? See, Saul was faced with the truth. Invited into change, into forgiveness, into relationship with Jesus. But are you, in that same moment, going to get up and go? To accept that relationship, the forgiveness that he has for us. When I was lying on my closet floor, when I was 22, depressed, wanting to die, begging the Lord, begging him, crawled up in fetal position, asking him just to take my life because I had made so many decisions leading up to that point that I couldn't even deal with it. The regret regret was sickening. And I couldn't clean myself up enough to feel like I was worthy to come before him, that I was worthy to, to be around other people, to actually live into what I knew he was calling me to do. I let regret stop me, the things of my past, and I was crying out to him. And he just said, Well, first of all, I believe he was listening, and he was there. When I was crying, he was listening. That's relationship. But then he said, okay, Allie, you have a choice. You know I love you. You know I'm real. So either follow after me wholeheartedly and leave all of this behind, or leave me behind. And go that way. Just leave my name out of it. 
And it's what I like to call my loving truth bomb from God. Like, I love it when he speaks to me that day because he's still, I feel his arms around me because he cares about me. He wanted me to change. He knew that there was something more. So I chose in that moment to get up off of that closet floor and I got into bed with my Bible open and chose to let his words fill me with truth to tell for their, these words to tell me who I am in him. Not anyone else and not even myself. I had to get out of my own way. I had a beautiful community trying to speak life into me, but I wouldn't have it because I, I, I was too bad. I wasn't worthy. I didn't have value. I messed up. If you only knew. And Jesus says, I know and I loved you at your darkest. In Deuteronomy 1, 6 through 9, it talks about these people, um, the Israelites are out in the wilderness, and after 40 years, they are sitting at the bottom of Mount Horeb. And the Lord speaks to them, and he says, I'm recapping for time, you're welcome. And he says, (laughs) break camp and advance. Get up and go. You've been walking around this mountain for far too long. You've been wandering in the wilderness way longer than I ever intended you to do. So today is the day to break camp and advance. And I feel like someone in here this morning needs to know that they are free to break camp and advance into the promised land and the promises that God has given you. Those things of the past that you're waiting for, he has them waiting for you in your future. You've got to step into this divine drama, as we call it. It is so much more fulfilling. It's so much more free. His love is overwhelming, and it overflows to other people. And you get to bring that freedom to others. This is the great news, and this is what we get to be a part of. He calls us to get up, go, and continue on the road. Have you ever had a camp high where you go somewhere and you're just like, um, we call it like if you go to camp, like the kids' camp, and they're up there and they're worshiping all week and they're with their friends and they're getting a word and so much fun for five days. Then they come home and you're like, I thought you guys went to camp. Like, you know, they're, they're, and <laughs> at camp they're wonderful. You should go see them at camp. And then when you come home, or for example, I was at a Christian conference a couple weekends ago, and I just was like, when you're in your little bubble of like everybody who's like worshiping and, and talking about the same things you are, and then you come home and you're just like floating on clouds, and then all of a sudden the next day I was like, oh, I, I, need, I need to be filled up. Okay, I need to be filled up. I just had an encounter with God, but I need to be filled up again. The interesting thing is that Saul meets Jesus, and then... Jesus says, well, continue on. (laughs) Kind of anticlimactic if you think about it. See, Saul wasn't given a new destination. He was given a new mission in that moment. No longer was he going to destroy the church in Damascus. He was going to disciple it. Perspective. Sometimes we're waiting for God to come in and totally change our lives, but really he wants to change the way that we see the lives that we're already planted in. To get up and go out and continue on the road, there's beauty in that because if you're a believer, you make those usual moments unusual because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you working and speaking and breathing through you to the community around you. 
It's not boring at all. It's a new perspective. And Jesus works while we wait. Saul had to wait for three days. And while he was waiting, Jesus was speaking in a vision to a man named Ananias, a disciple of the Lord. And when Jesus spoke to Ananias, immediately Ananias goes, here I am, Lord. I want that type of relationship, by the way. It's like Jesus speaks and he's like, hi. He knew immediately. And then Jesus says, go to a street called Straight, to a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's waiting for you. He's praying right now, and he's getting a vision that you're coming to him. Ananias rightfully is like, wait, this is Saul, the one that like murders people, God? Like, don't you know? I mean, Jesus, you, you've seen him. You already spoke to him. You know who he is. Um, you're sending me to go risk my life because Saul needs somebody to pray over him? And Jesus says, yes, go. He's waiting for you. <laughs> and so Ananias went. And I love that transaction because it shows relationship, right? But Ananias goes, and he goes out to Saul, and he walks in that room, and he says, Brother Saul. That hit me this week in a new way. His enemy comes in and addresses him as brother. The first one that he's seen this whole time to come in and to pray over him, Brother Saul. And in that moment, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and he was filled with the Holy Spirit at once um, and then he was baptized. So while Saul was praying and repenting and waiting, Jesus was working on his behalf and showing up to Ananias. So, and if you're in a season of waiting right now and you're feeling like God is just not showing up, he's not talking to you, you're crying out, maybe, just maybe, he's somewhere working on your behalf to pull all of those things together the way that they need to for the exact thing that he has planned and purpose for you to come through. The light is on its way. If it's dark, the sun is coming up. That is what he has promised. But Ananias, some of you are in here and you have been told to go talk to somebody. Maybe you are already a believer, but you see Ananias and you're like, oh, oh, I knew I was supposed to say this to someone. I knew I was supposed to text them. I knew I was supposed to pray for them. Ananias went, and it shows the power of community. Saul needed Ananias to pray over him in that moment to become everything that God was asking of him to be, to go out and actually, Saul goes on to tell his testimony two other times in Acts, and he mentions Ananias. He's a part of the transformation story. We are a part of each other's transformation stories. We can't let that be missed on us. Someone is waiting for you to get up and go. Two commands, two people, one command. He says it to Saul, get up and go. He says it to Ananias, get up and go. Two different reasons, but one purpose. If my dad didn't say yes to his call, would I be here right now? God can work in a lot of ways. I'm not putting him in a box, but I'm just wondering if there's something you need to be doing for someone that can lead them into their next day's obedience. Their revelation might just be one day away of you stepping in in obedience right now. 
It's a beautiful calling. It's a great opportunity. And when we do that, it actually makes this usual thing unusual. Saul was filled with the Spirit today on Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. Today, we celebrate that in the church. To be filled with the Spirit, and he is given a new perspective. I once was blind, but now I see. Jesus restores our regrets And he masters our resources. Everything that Paul went through growing up, Saul, (laughs) everything that Saul went through growing up, he used for his glory later on. So it's not like you have to leave everything that you've already worked on all of your time, all of your life, your money, your resources, and just leave it all behind. What God does is he restores all of that for his purposes. So we don't have to wonder if we cut things out. God brings these things back around. I've watched it in my own life as he's pulled these things back around. And I just want to show you something really fast because I thought it was so beautiful. In Acts 8, 1, it says, And Saul approved to their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. When I was reading this, is there another verse that you start hearing? Acts 1, 8. The last words that's recorded, it says, as Jesus says to them, it says Acts 1-8, which I'm dyslexic. So Acts 8-1 and Acts 1-8 was like a trick for me this week, but whatever. God is working miracles. Okay, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now look at those two together. Maybe. While Saul was killing Christians and making them disperse, it was actually living out the exact thing that Jesus said that they were going to be doing. So in the moment of Saul's darkness, when he's killing Christians, he's persecuting them. Guess what's happening? The thing that Jesus already said was going to happen. Jesus used Saul's worst moments to fulfill the mission that he had called them to. How amazing! He restores the brokenness. He restores those horrible moments that we regret. And I just thought this was beautiful. Scripture is beautiful. And I discovered it this week and I needed to share it with you because sometimes I forget that God can use those couple years of my life when I was running from Him. And I did horrible things that I do not need to repeat. Unless God is calling me to use it to somebody else's life. He has redeemed it over and over and over again. So when I see this, I'm like, exactly. God always knows what's going on. So those moments he can restore in the future, he already sees it coming. He's not further than your worst mistake. There's no shadow he won't light up. (laughs) Mountain he won't climb up coming after you. And I am a personal witness of that. And if the band can come up. What if Saul let his regrets stop him from living in to the calling that he was purposed for? What if he didn't surrender what he knew about himself to be so true and believe that God could restore it? What if that's the same for you? And it doesn't have to even be something massive. Like I, 
There was a conversation I had yesterday. I did not respond in the best way. I regretted it immediately, but guess what? I have the opportunity to go and mend that. I'm learning constantly. But what Saul shows us, and as he moves, in Acts 13, 9, I believe, is the first time that he's mentioned as Paul, and he doesn't go back to Saul. Because in that moment, even though three or so years have passed, he got a new mission, and his mission was to the Gentiles. And so because of that, he went by Paul to be all things to all men. But before any of that, he had to decide more than anyone else, he was persecuting Jesus. He had to sit there and known what it was like to just have to trust in the mercy and the grace that Jesus has for him. He had to because of what he had already done. So in that moment, it says in Romans, uh, Romans 47 different times, Paul talks about the dead man, the dead man, the dead man, the dead man. Our old is gone. Paul says that he is the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ and in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me. Because I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy thing, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience and even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So Saul, the worst of all, will become the greatest saint to ever live. The day that he decided to follow Jesus, his old self was here and he opted in for the new way of life. In Ephesians 4, it says to take off the old self and put on the new. He says it in 1 Corinthians 5, that we are not that old creation anymore, but a new creation. Take captive every thought. And he writes in Ephesians 6, when it talks about the armor of God, this helmet of salvation. He had to put that on every day because think of all the things everybody wanted to point out who he was. But he says, no, 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 I'm not that sinner anymore. I am a saint. I'm an inheritant, an inheritor of the kingdom. I am child of God. That's no longer my label. And even though we might mess up and opt into that, actually, we have authority and power over that because God says that there is no temptation that we cannot withstand without him. The old is gone. The new has come. Let's live in the newness. Live in the power. Live in the beauty of a new creation, a never-formed creation. When you give your life to Christ, what was done, what was old, is now dead. You've already faced death. You will never have to die again if you are a believer in Christ. It's beautiful, beautiful news, and you are a newly created being. And he uses all of those things to purpose and to fulfill the mission that he has for you, uniquely for you. So if everyone would stand with us as we close.
He's called us to be set apart. The problem is, is that we still do live in this world. <laughs> we still make mistakes. We still make those choices. We opt in um, to these decisions and, and these environments. But he's calling us to be holy, to be righteous. And when that life dies, we get to put on the cloak of Christ covered in righteousness. When we stand before the throne, he's not going to see all of the things that we've done. He's going to see us covered by the blood. We get to stand in that power and that authority. But we have to understand that we can say, okay, I, I messed up. I repent of that. We have got to be in repentance every day. If you don't, I promise you, there's something that we can be repenting for until Jesus comes back. But it's a gift that we get to repent. It's a gift that we can say, "Never, okay, Lord, I did this, and I'm going to sit at your feet, and I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to walk away from it because you have given me a new option. You've given me the best option and truly the only option to live a life to the fullest that he has called us to. To be set apart. To lay those regrets, lay our past down, and to pick up the new life. To go out where you already are positioned and influential to engage, to be salt and light. <laughs> the power of the gospel living through us, a new creation, a new perspective, a sinner and now a saint. I just want to offer this moment. I, I, can't, I can't move past it. If there's anyone, if, if everyone would close their eyes. If there is anyone in this room that has not made that decision to become a child of God, an inheriting heir because of what Jesus has done for us, the spotless lamb opting out of the heavens to come down on earth to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for our sin, our shame, our regrets. Because he loves you that much. And then he was placed in a grave and <laughs> three days later he rose again because he defeated death. And he gives us life eternal. And he's just waiting for the day he gets to come back and get us. But until then, we get to live this life out in Jesus' name. And it's a beautiful opportunity. And if it's not one that you've ever stepped into, but you're feeling like maybe this is the day. This is the day. I'm going to stop making maybe this, maybe that. I'm just going to say, okay, I'm just going to get up and go and trust you to take me where I need to go. If you're feeling that today, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands with all eyes closed, heads bowed. He loves you so much. If you're in here today and you're struggling, there's just something you know you regret doing. You know that you just feel like maybe God just doesn't is he going to still love me? Is he still going to figure it out? Is he still going to help me because I did that? 
Or maybe it was something that happened this morning. Maybe there's a regret that you're thinking of or a life that you're just kind of opting back into the old, but you want to live and stay in the new, to be set apart, holy and pleasing unto him. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just lift up everyone in this room this morning, Lord God. I pray um, over the specifics. God, you know them. (laughs) You know exactly what it is that they raised their hands for this morning, Lord God. I pray deliverance over them in your name, Jesus, that they can understand and believe and trust that you are who you say you are. You are faithful. You are trustworthy. And if you say that you forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west, then if we give them to you, you will do just that. Make your word come alive in our hearts. Let your spirit breathe life anew in us, a new creation. Speak to those spots, Lord. Let them trust in the waiting that you are going to do something beautiful and bring around them a community. Lord, let us be that community. If it's not us that raise our hands, God, impress on our hearts who we should go speak to who we should talk to, because this is about fellowship, of unity, of being in the church together, Lord. Impress upon us. Speak to us. Let your spirit fill us and fall on us, Lord God. We lift them up to you in full surrender, firmly believing and then receiving your grace and your mercy to walk this thing out in confidence of not of who we are at all. As Dottie was saying earlier, to be aware of our weaknesses, but trusting in your strength. We're thankful for the opportunity and for your love that abounds. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen and amen.